First and foremost, I want to congratulate the seven players who made their first um, appearance to the men's national team. You know, it, it's a great honor to, to be part of this program, and um, you know, they're always going to remember their first game. This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. After having some time to sit and think about what we saw from the U.S. men's national team over the weekend, Joey and I have recorded our thoughts about the performance versus Costa Rica. And by now, you've probably already heard several other pundits and podcasts, but as we've stated in the past, our goal isn't to be the first ones with an episode out. Our goal is to take a deeper look and hopefully provide some learning opportunities that can help you see and think about the game differently. And as you heard in the pre-roll, seven players made their first appearance with the U.S. men's national team during this game. And one of those players is someone that we know very, very well. His name is Ulianes. So just a quick congratulations to him and to his family for all of the hard work and the sacrifice and the dedication that they've put in. And the payoff was amazing. Congratulations, guys. But as Gary stated on Twitter already, excellent shift on Saturday. Now we get back to work. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to mention just two things that can help soccer coaches and soccer parents. So coaches, if you are looking for high quality coaching education that teaches you how to play and coach possession-based soccer, and perhaps a methodology that has been proven to work here in the United States at all levels, both genders, you can find that with 343's premium coaching membership program. To learn more about the benefits of that program, or to just get started immediately, you can visit 343coaching.com. And parents, if you are looking for smarter training plans for you and your player, we have a program for you. Our new player development masterclass is designed to help you properly mentor your player and to give your player all the tools they need to take development into their own hands. Now, maybe you guys are wondering what it takes to become a starter on your roster or to become a professional or to become a national team player. Well, this course will pull the curtain back on that process. Ulianes, the player that I just mentioned that made his U.S. men's national team debut over the weekend, has been mentored by Brian and Gary Kleiben from the time he was 10 years old. And this course is going to give you a taste of that mentorship and show you that real development process that players like Uli have gone through. So you can get on the priority enrollment list for that course right now. It's not quite ready to launch, but we will be launching it very soon. And the people on the priority enrollment list will be the first to know when registration opens. You can find all of the information for 343's Player Development Masterclass by visiting 343masterclass.com. All right, that's it for the intro. Let's get into today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Let's talk about Saturday's game. Big game, obviously, for for 3-4-3. Our boy Ulianes got the start. He got the only goal of the game, which was you know, very proud moment for us, for him, for his family, for his coaches, everybody that's been involved with, with his development. His teammates, obviously, were all over social media as well, posting videos of it and congratulating him. You know, 343 as a whole, I think that was a pretty special moment for us to see uh, our guy Uli score a goal. 
for the U.S. men's national team. But we can't get hung up on just that because there are other things to talk about. So, Joey, welcome back to the show. And just let's start with some of your general reactions or thoughts about Saturday's game. Glad to be back, John. Um, Yeah, man. It's sort of a lot of the same that we've seen from the national team. Now, building up to this, obviously, the situation's different. You know, a lot of the players are out of season in the MLS. You know, maybe they're just starting training camp. So, you know, they've they've had the January camp for a month. Game-wise, not too many games that most of the roster's been playing. So it's a little bit different. It's not like they're in mid-season, like fitness and sharpness and all that. But yeah, it, it it's more of the same for me in possession. I, I thought it was frustrating. Uh, I was at the game, so I was there. I could see a lot more than I usually just am able to see on the TV. Um, for me in possession, like everything's slow and safe. And I think that's what we've seen uh, that's what we saw from the U17 team under Wiki. I think we've seen that from other teams in the past as well. Like it's been communicated that the identity is possession based, but it's it's very slow, very safe. I'll go over just like three main points that stood out to me from the game. Um, the players vision and recognition so their ability to be aware of what's on and what's not on before the ball gets to them they don't they don't they can't recognize i shouldn't say they can't they do recognize when to go forward but almost always it's too late so the hesitation it kills potential attacks and i pointed i pointed out a couple examples on twitter but it was a it was a pattern throughout the game yeah, so because of that hesitation to go forward, the players then play safe passes. You know, they'll play sideways or backwards instead of just having an avalanche going forward at the Costa Rica goal, which we were capable of doing, but we just we didn't see enough of it because of the lack of vision and recognition. Um, and then the the ability to to hide the intention of playing forward passes. Really, I didn't see anybody with this quality that that stood out, you know, like to know what's on. And we've talked about it, I think, in uh, previous episodes, like just sort of acting uninterested or glancing out of the corner of your eye to see what's on, but not looking in that direction, not having your body facing that direction. Uh, That makes it harder for the defenders to read, to react and then position themselves correctly. Uh, I thought that seriously lacked. And then the third point, the technical efficiency to to execute the required pass in a timely manner. So there were multiple times where players would receive the ball. It's on to play a pass forward. Uh, but because the player's first touch wasn't good enough, they'd have to take an extra touch. And then by that time, it's the play's done. Like they no longer can go forward. So then they ended up playing backwards or sideways. So for the statistics people, like this is, this is one reason why like passes completed or even forward passes completed can be deceiving. Like there's so much more context to, yeah, maybe they, they played that pass and it was completed, but it was actually on to go forward in that movement. And because their, you know, their recognition, their deception or technical efficiency wasn't good enough, they weren't able to do so. 
So that I think was uh, an overwhelming pattern in the game. I thought we didn't create a lot of chances because of those three things seriously lacking. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that you're able to see that more in person. And I say it's funny because I'm sure it was even more obvious in person, but I mentioned something similar to the guy I was sitting watching the game with. And what I mentioned is that the, the game seemed like it was so slow. Every pass was just so slow. It took five years uh, for a ball to get between uh, Walker Zimmerman or Aaron Long and, and Jackson Ewell. It's like those three, like their passes were just incredibly slow. The pace of the game was so slow. I'm, I, I can't emphasize this enough. And that stood out on TV. So I can't imagine, you know, what the pace of the game felt like in person. It must have been just incredibly frustrating. Yeah. And that's another part of the, the technical quality of the players, their ability to wait the pass and then their ability to place the ball for the player that they're playing it to place the ball so that they can continue going forward. There were a number of passes where, you know, the player was playing their teammate a ball. It's on to go forward. The player is showing with his body language that he wants to go forward, but because it was either too slow or it was behind them, sometimes even both of those things that killed the attack. Yeah. And it's hard to know exactly what that is. It could be that the player is just incapable of executing in that manner or it could be that you know the the training environment building up to this game was not demanding those things from the players true very true it's also i i believe a symptom of the the lack of like week in week out pressure not pressure pressure is the wrong word the lack of week in week out uh consistency of having to do that with their club teams being able to play slow passes and and these sorts of things at the teams that these players normally play for, which in this case happened to be major league soccer teams, right? So the, the they're allowed to get away with it in that environment. And you can't get away with that in, in some of the top leagues around the world. And that's why some of these center backs or these holding mids or these outside backs, they're the best in the world because they're playing against uh, the best in the world. And they're playing at a different speed consistently week in, week out. Major league soccer doesn't have that. I don't want to try to beat a dead horse because we've talked about that so many times, but that is very important. Walker Zimmerman can get away with it here. Aaron Long can get away with it here. But if those guys were to move to pretty much anywhere else in, in, in Europe, you know, those little slow passes don't work anymore. They just don't. And it's really frustrating to, to see those guys get away with it. Walker Zimmerman was one that I, I was incredibly frustrated watching him yesterday specifically. He reminds me of just like a big, goofy college center back. And he telegraphs everything. There was a moment in the first half where he, I don't know, they played a couple passes between him, Long, and, and Yule, and it ended up going across to Zimmerman again and and he just completely telegraphed a pass to Reggie Cannon like he was just looking staring straight at, at his teammate and of course Costa Rica is going to figure out but then I started to look at it again I probably watched the clip I don't know 10 times and even if the pass would have gotten to its destination which was supposed to be Reggie Cannon Reggie Cannon would have been smothered he was surrounded by Costa Rican players so even if even if the pass was completed it was probably still the wrong pass to make and fortunately for U.S. men's national team, the Costa Rican player just slid and intercepted the pass, but it went out for a throw-in. So there's no real like effect to it. 
there's no real consequence, I guess, for, for Walker making that pass and it goes under the radar, but it's just one of many, many, many bad decisions, slow passes, telegraph passes that, you know, we, we let these guys off the hook for, and we shouldn't, these guys should not be left off the hook for these types of passes. They sh- those, those moments should be highlighted. Yeah, man. I, I, the play that you just mentioned, it's very clear in my, in my mind and Reggie Cannon, he was getting frustrated on that side. Like, um, I was I was a little harsh on him after the first half. I, I tweeted that I didn't think he was good, and technically I don't think he's good. <laughs> um, but I will say that that positioning wise, he was in some good positions, and he had space to receive the ball from Zimmerman. But yeah, Zimmerman was he lacks quality. He he can't get it to Reggie Cannon at the time that he needs the ball to continue momentum forward and Reggie Cannon, like his body language, you could tell he was getting frustrated. He was like throwing his hands up in the air um, in frustration with Zimmerman because he wasn't getting him the ball quick enough. Uh, I, yeah, I thought Zimmerman and Long both uh, for a team that wants to be, play possession based football. They don't, they're not good ball playing center backs. Like there's so many moments throughout the game where they, they could have played a pass to start an attack and they're just not able to do it because of one of the three things that I mentioned, vision, deception, or the technical quality. Yeah. And, and the vision and and the deception part, it, it, (laughs) there's a moment that I remember too, where I remember Jackson Ewell almost being deceived uh, by, I can't remember if it was, if it was, Zimmerman or long, but one of them like surprised Jackson Yule with a pass because he was like five yards away from them. And he played whoever was the center back played like a, uh, yeah, just a pass that they shouldn't have played to, to Jackson Yule and Jackson Yule actually made the most of it in that situation. But when you talk about like the deception and things like that, it's like, it's not meant for those types of passes when you're trying to, you know, keep possession in the, in the, the defensive half of the field with your, you know, holding midfielder and two center backs. So those guys, it's just like they just an example of the wrong time, the wrong place, wrong decision. God, it was just so frustrating to watch that. I remember Jackson just like being surprised when the ball, and I just jumped in my seat as I was saying it out loud. Uh, he was just like surprised when the ball got played to him because he should have never got it in the first place. Um, there On Reggie Cannon though, Reggie Cannon did seem to get himself into, into some pretty good situations. And there's another one, that are stuck out to me in the first half. Reggie Cannon had space in front of him and he started from a super wide position and Brendan Aronson received the ball turned. And as that was happening, Reggie Cannon starts to move forward and he puts his hand out where he wants the ball. He shows Brendan Aronson where he wants the ball, which should have been kind of like a driven ball, um, like a kind of like a daisy cutter type ball, probably to Reggie Cannon's, you know, the space five, 10 yards in front of him. And what Brendan Aronson ultimately did is he play, he launched the fuck out of the ball and put it into the penalty area. And so then instead of Reggie Cannon having the ball where he can maybe take it on the dribble and and then take his defender on 1v1 or maybe even beat the defender in the back line, he put him into a 50-50 situation, you know, 35, 40 yards higher up the field. And again, just another example of not good decision-making, not, not the correct decision for the type of soccer that Greg Berhalter wants to play. You know, we're, we're talking about disorganizing opponents with the ball and playing possession soccer, dominating possession, not putting our, our outside backs and not putting our players in the 50-50 situations with long balls. Yeah, those are two other players that I didn't think were very good. Uh, Yule and Aronson. Uh, it's strange to me. 
I, I think, I think a lot of people maybe are impressed with just the safe passes being completed. But if we're looking beyond, you know, the, the safe side to side backwards passes, um, it was very obvious to me that Yule and Aronson had so many moments to start attacks for the team and they weren't able to do so. Um, that for me is for a national team midfielder, you, you have to have the ability to do that. And they, they lack that. And yeah, that example that you pointed out, you know, waiting the pass properly, pa placing the pass exactly where Reggie Cannon needs it, not able to do. And it wasn't just that moment. There were multiple moments. And I shared a couple moments on Twitter. Um, and those weren't the only moments. I just, I wanted to point those out as examples. I had made note of those. Um, but there were multiple moments where it, it was the same thing. You know, it was a pattern in the game for those players, Yule and Aronson. The attack is on. It's time to launch something going forward and they just aren't able to do it it's too slow and there's a difference too with the types of with the types of strokes that those guys tend to play the ball with too so it's either like these slow you know passes on the ground or safe passes side to side but if they do try to spring an attack the the types of driven balls that these guys use or the types of aerial balls that these guys use aren't aren't anything that are that are super dangerous in that regard either so they play like these like looping, slow aerial passes too. They, when they play the ball in the air, they take forever to get there too. And that's not the that's not the type of dangerous pass that you need. If you watch a player like, let's see, who am I trying to think of? Well, the one example that comes to mind that I always highlight is that Pogba pass to Fellaini uh, when you know it was their maybe their first years with Manchester United. But Pogba plays a bullet pass from midfield, it like hits Fellaini in the chest and he's on top of the 18 in that, in that particular game, I'll try to share that clip as well. But it's like, that's, that's the type of driven passes that we, that we need. Um, and instead we get these rainbow balls from Jackson Ewell that take 10 years to get out to its destination. And it's just, it, it's slow. It's frustrating. It's not special. Anybody can hit those types of passes and those are safe passes. Those are safe passes too, Joey. Like that's that's almost the that's almost like the equivalent of hitting a five yard, you know, uh, pass to your left or to your right. So if you're gonna if you're gonna hit a long aerial ball that's not threatening, it, it, what's the point of doing that? Yeah, another example of a player who can play those types of passes is De Bruyne. He's very very good at launching attacks with driven passes, and he knows he knows that the player okay, it's on. The player needs it right now. And so he he gives them the ball in the correct manner so that they can continue the momentum forward. And yeah, these these floating balls, these slow passes, these passes behind the attackers, it kills the attack. And it it I feel bad for the attacking players. They suffer. They suffer. There were there were a couple examples in the first half too, um, where maybe I think it was Yule who had the ball in midfield and Uli loses his man and has positioning on his defender and it's on. But he, Yule doesn't recognize the situation or he recognizes it too late or he's taken an extra touch, hesitated, and now the moment is gone. Um, yeah, I think Uli won one time through his hand up in frustration or motion like, hey, give me the ball here. And I think 
it's a pattern that we've seen, not just in this game, but now over the past year of Burhalter's tenure, like everything's slow. Um, the ability to recognize when the attack is on isn't there and leading to creating chances. We, we struggle to do so. I thought that this was a game that we, we should have easily won three, three nil at least, but we, we couldn't do it. Yeah. Another, there was actually another clear example in the game that we both watched this morning. So Tottenham and Manchester city, I think in the 18th minute is what I noted. Uh, Harry Winks received the ball in the middle of the field and with two touches, boom, boom, distributed the ball with a driven pass out wide. I can't remember who the recipient of the pass was, but it was almost an identical situation to the one that you posted of Brendan Aronson yesterday. And in Brendan Aronson's case, when he got that ball, he dribbled, you know, he took three, four, five, six touches maybe before he distributed the ball. And then it ultimately was a ball that was actually behind Uli uh, on the ground that wasn't uh, anything to spring an attack. But there were two very, very similar situations. So when you look at how, you know, those two players handled those situations and what the ultimate uh, result was out of those, it's completely different. So... If anybody's looking for examples of, of what we're talking about, uh, I think it was the 18th minute in the Tottenham-Manchester City game, and I can't remember the minute from... Uh, I can't remember the minute from Brendan Aronson. Maybe like the 45th minute or 43rd minute in the first half. I can't remember which example it was, but you posted it on Twitter. So Yeah, the, me, top, national team level midfielders have to have the quality to do that. If they can't do it, then they have no business being in the national team. Yep. And people will give the excuse, right? That, oh, Aronson's on on trial pretty much for the U23s. Okay, so what's the U23s on trial for? They're on trial for the men's national team, right? So it's it, you, can't, you can't be saying that. You know, he either has it or he doesn't. And at this point, from watching his, his performances with the U23s, when they did the the couple friendlies or the, the little tournament in Europe recently, I think in Spain, you know, watching his cameos there and, and whatnot, same stuff, same stuff. And and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but he he's a, a player that reminds me a lot of of Paxton. He he makes very similar decisions to Paxton, where in situations where I would want my player or my teammate to pass. Or to to make you know a, a through ball or to play a driven ball to to another teammate, these guys tend to dribble and they tend to they tend to take a little bit more risks when when they they shouldn't they should you know just make an easy pass or or make the right pass and instead they're going to dribble and try to take three four guys on for no reason and and that's been a I think a common pattern with with Brendan Aronson and I think like I mentioned er- earlier that that's a symptom of their environment where where they're playing their games currently that shit doesn't work in Europe that doesn't that doesn't work when, when you get dropped in the Bundesliga that doesn't work when you get dropped in the Premier League or wherever wherever you're going to go in Europe right but these guys get away with it here in 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 MLS and to to some degree I, I could see how they might look special against you know some of the these defenders that they're going against in major league soccer but as we've seen that doesn't always translate to the national team level when you're playing against better opponents and when we're talking about qualifying for world cups and qualifying for the olympics we want we want guys that know how to make these decisions 100% we shouldn't be we shouldn't be searching for excuses we should be holding them accountable at this level that's what we need yep yep uh 
who impressed you from the game? Was there anybody that stood out to you as you know, did, like a they got a they got a star next to their name or anything? Um, I I mean nothing like crazy good, uh, but I thought three players did did pretty good. I thought legit the guy for me he's reliable. You know, I I think he should be a regular in this team considering the player pool as it is. I, I think he's a reliable midfielder. Uh, he has enough quality and with the correct uh, training environment and demand, I, I think, I think he could be a good contributor for the national team. And I think we've seen that in the past. He's, he's reliable. You know, he, he holds the ball for the team, less turnovers than others. You know, he, he has moments where, you know, he can start an attack. Um, so he was one that, I thought was better than the others. Uh, Ferreira, I want to see more of them. There were there were moments where I thought to myself, okay, all right, that's that's pretty good. So I, I'd like to see him more involved. Obviously, the the center forward position we're not super deep, uh, so it'd be good if he gets more opportunities. Uh, and then Uli, I thought. Uh, and I'll be honest, I, I think Uli's capable of much more. I think he's capable of much more, but considering his first time playing in the national team, uh, he, clearly you could see that he has the quality to change games. Uh, I think, you know, because I've seen him so much in the past, I, I think with more experience in the senior team, I think his execution will just get better and better and better. But clearly in his first game, uh, his mentality was good. He was hungry, didn't shy away. Uh, he showed flashes of moments where, yeah, okay, this guy can be a game changer. And I stick by my uh, opinion that after Pulisic, he is the best winger in the pool. It's funny because people will, will expect us to you know, just praise Uli, praise Uli, praise Uli, but what they don't know is that, you know, as soon as Uli gets home or whatever, or has a conversation with either Gary or Brian, probably, uh, yeah, it's no praise. Like, yeah, good job, dude. But like, they're, they're going to rip into him about some, some things too. And I think that's important, um, for, for people to understand. So, uh, yeah, little, little moments where he could have definitely done better. Some little, some little mistouches and things like that. But you know what was what I thought was pretty funny? The ball like bounced in his favor a lot of times. Like he he got trapped on the sideline a couple of times and was trying to make a pass and it hit off a Costa Rican shin and then it bounced back to Uli and then he made a he made a completed pass right after that or like right before he made that that spin move that uh, where he, where he kind of took on or, or took took the ball between two defenders. He made a bad pass. The defender blocked the pass. And then actually after he, he made the spin move, he, he made a pass that wasn't completed. So, you know, there's obviously places in Uli's game that he, that he can continue to improve. And, and I think that with, with work, he'll, he'll get there. I, I was also impressed with, with Ferreira. I, I had a lot of moments where I caught myself shaking my head. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, completely different player than Jossie Zardes. You know, the, the, the types of balls that, you know, if you if you played some of those balls into Jossie Zardes' feet, those would be absolute turnovers. Um, and 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 Jossie Zardes is is so rigid with how he plays that it, that becomes easy for defenders to pick up on too. You know, they, if they see the way that he receives a ball, then they absolutely know what he's going to do next, just because of the rigidity of his play. 
Ferreira is a little bit more loose, a little bit more unpredictable. I thought that was good. A couple times he, you know, he he dropped a little bit deeper into the midfield, received, and then filtered balls through the back line to people running on. Whether it was, I think, Aronson one time, he he played a couple balls to Uli, he played a couple balls to Ariola, which I thought were pretty good. And we haven't had that from a from a from a center forward. Josh Sargent isn't that type of player. Um, I for one, I I like players more like Ferreira, like more like what he had to offer yesterday. Yeah, so I, I was happy to see him. And to be honest, Joey, at the first 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes of the game, I was like, oh man, like these guys are actually kind of accomplishing some of what Burhalter wanted. In the first minute of the game, actually, they they played a, they played a through ball. They created a goal scoring opportunity. They won two corners in the first minute of the game. Like I was like, oh, all right, here we go. And it continued for like 10 minutes. But then, you know, for a long, long stretches of the game, that, that identity kind of came and went, which... Uh, I think it leaves more more to be desired for the rest of the year. I don't know how you felt about it. I don't know what it looked like in person. Yeah, I I agree. I think they had a lot of the ball, but man, like like we talked about earlier, it's just so slow. So yeah, you, you have the ball, but okay, how do how are you going to create chances with the ball moving so slow, the the decision making so slow? It's it's very difficult to create quality chances when everything is is at that tempo. But, but yeah, you could see that, okay, it's possible that these concepts are being communicated in training. Uh, the players are aware of the concepts. They're trying to execute the concepts in the game. But I don't know, man, national team level, I think it's gotta, there's got to be way more quality. And I think uh, as a fan base, we need to demand that because if we're going to do good in the next World Cup, I mean, like say we're facing Italy, traditionally known as a defensive country, like how the hell are we going to create chances against an Italian side when the tempo is this slow? Like it, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. We, we didn't create a lot of good quality chances against Costa Rica and this Costa Rica team is whatever. So heading into the next World Cup, we got to be playing much faster, executing what Burhalter wants at a much higher level. And it's been over a year now and we still, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for all of this to be executed at a much quicker pace and a higher level, but nothing yet. One, one last thought from me. I, I do not like how Burhalter used Uli as kind of, or, or kind of pushed Uli to the inside and depended on Sam Vines to be like that wide attacking player because they pushed Sam Vines and Reggie Cannon very high, plenty of moments during the game. But Sam Vines getting the ball out wide with no defender or with, you know, five, 10 yards between him and his defender and then running at the defender is much different than Uli having that same space. And, and Uli within the first five minutes of the game, I think had, had gotten himself with his with his heels on the touchline and, and then was able to dribble at two two defenders, three defenders, and he's dangerous when he's like that. When he can kind of slalom between defenders or at defenders and going to his left and to his right and makes the defenders look silly a lot of times. It's what he's best at. But when when you when you switch that and you have him pushed more to the inside and Sam Vines occupying that super wide space, I feel like that's doing a disservice to you know one of the best wingers that we have are at our disposal. And I, I personally, I would like to see something like Uli and Christian 
put on the put out wide on the wings and letting those guys go at defenders, letting giving them the opportunities to roast defenders, putting them in one v one situations, letting them just uh, you know show their attacking prowess. But when you when you move these guys into the center of the field, you surround them with defenders, and I feel like that that takes a little bit out, or uh, that takes a little bit. Uh, yeah, it just takes a little bit of their game away, for for lack of better terms. And then you then you're and then you're depending on these guys like Reggie Cannon and Sam Vines to to replace their quality, and that's it's a severe drop. Yeah, I agree 100, percent man. That, that's a good point. Like you said, Uli's known for having his heels on the touchline, getting him isolated one v one against his defender, and Uli going at them and roasting them and creating chances from it. Yeah, it's different. He comes inside, his back is now turned to goal more defenders. I think he's more in a position then where he has to look for quick combinations to get into a position then to run at the defenders. So maybe the ball comes into him, his back is turned to his defender, defenders on him tight. He lays it off and then breaks off from the defender, gets it back. And now he's facing the goal. And the, the thing about that is, yeah, you're, you're then relying on players coming underneath or close to Uli for those types of combos and being able to execute quick one-twos, waiting the pass properly. And, and these are things that aren't necessarily a strong suit of the national team, being able to play like that. So, man, that, that's a good point. I think, yeah, I think you're correct. I think that takes away from Uli's qualities being in that position. And it's the flip side of that would be if you have Uli and Christian Pulisic out like playing super wide, then you need guys that can ping them the ball at the right time with the, you know, and and start those attacks. And if it's going to be those types of balls that we saw yesterday that are taking forever to get to to their destinations, well, then that doesn't help either, right? Because then by the time the ball gets to Uli or gets to Christian Pulisic or whoever is going to be playing on the wings, right? Uh, Then the defenders have time to go over there and, and just defend. And it's, it's not dangerous anymore. So I can also see the frustration maybe of, of those players. Maybe that's something we can keep an eye on throughout the year, right? But if they're not getting that service out wide and they're not getting into those situations, then maybe they're taking it upon themselves to come in to try to find the ball and, and to try to create those that, that that heightened speed of play themselves. That I don't know. Maybe that's something to, to keep an eye on. But what I would prefer is having a center midfielder or a group of center midfielders that know how to control the pace of the game, can keep possession, pinging around a little bit, giving these guys opportunities to get themselves positioned out wide. And once they get there, boom, a freaking laser of a driven ball out to one of them and then letting them roast 1v1. That, I think, would be exciting to watch. Yeah, I agree. And I I think uh, I'm going to go back and rewatch this part of the game. But the positioning of the attacking mids seemed to be They seem to receive the ball a lot of the times in front of their, their defender, their mark, their, you know, the, the line, the defensive, no, the midfield line of Costa Rica, Legette, Aronson, they would always get the ball in front of the defender as opposed to receiving it in behind. I think um, the positioning of the attacking mids is also interesting. And that allows, if the attacking mids are higher, I think that allows the wingers to stay more wide. But yeah, I think that that's a, an interesting point and something to keep an eye on. Um, we want we want the players to be in situations where it maximizes their qualities 100%. Yep. yep. 
what else? Was there anything else that we that we missed that we need to talk about for this for this game? It's not, it's hard to look into it. I understand. It's everybody's calling it Camp Cupcake. Everybody's um, you know reminding you that it's a friendly. It's not our full lineup, but I, I think it's important to to realize that Aaron Long was one of the staples in Burhalter's lineup for for this last year walker zimmerman was in and out in and out of the lineup legit if healthy he probably would have been incorporated more paul Ariola started some very important games uh played in played in the second round or second leg against canada which was you know kind of like a decision day for a lot of people about burhalter's system and and his abilities with the u.s men's national team so or his coaching abilities with the u.s men's national team so these are these there were guys on the field yesterday that are staples and that we will see in March that we will see in nations league semifinals and hopefully the final and, and world cup qualifying. So you can't just write this off as, as a nothing game. Um, and then a lot of the guys yeah, are, are, are on trial basically for the Olympic team too. So yeah, it's very, very actually one of the more important January games in, in recent history for sure. But is, is there anything else that we, that we didn't cover that we need to, that we need to before we sign off real quick. I, I think um, the penalty situation was fascinating. I don't know what was, what you, what everyone was able to see from the television broadcast. Uh, but I, I found it fascinating and I thought that it, it uh, said a lot that Uli grabbed the ball and wanted to take it. And there, there was some deliberation amongst him and, and I think Paul Ariola and I, there was one other player. I think it was Ferreira. Um, but yeah, Uli just said, hey, I, I want to take this. And I thought it was cool that Ariola allowed him to do that. Um, I guess in, in the in the press conference, Burhalter had mentioned that Ariola was the one who was taking the majority of penalty kicks in training. So I thought that that was a cool moment. Uh, I thought it said a lot about Uli's mindset and I thought um, it was also a cool interaction between Uli himself and, and Ariola. The fact that Ariola let him, let him take it uh, in his home hometown stadium in front of his friends and family. I thought that that was fascinating. And I think it said a lot. You can't really see too much of it from the TV, from the TV angle that was provided because then they cut to a replay and all kinds of other stuff, but you can, you, you get a glimpse immediately after the, the referee awarded the penalty kick, you can see Uli coming across and like running through the, the six yard area. And he's, he's signaling to the ball boy. And I, I think you can actually see the ball boy throw him the ball and, and then it cuts to the replay. But at that point, I remember when I was, when, when I was watching it, when it was live, I thought Uli was running to get the ball that he was going to give it to somebody else. Uh, that was my first thought. Like there's no way that Uli's, you know, <laughs> gotta step up and take this is what I was thinking. And when it cut back to it, that it was him, I grabbed my phone right away and I, I hit record and I was celebrating already. So that was, that was cool. But yeah, I like that Greg mentioned that in the press conference. It's typical that he took the penalty because that's what type of player he is. He plays with confidence. And I think you saw that from the, from the, even in the beginning of the game, you didn't see nerves. He's going at guys one V one. He's getting into good spaces. He's running behind the line, a real good combination of, um, of things that he did in the game today. Was Uli supposed to take that penalty? I mean, what's your policy on that? Yeah, you know, we actually um, didn't designate a penalty taker. And Paul has been taking them all month um, in, in, in training. 
And Uli has the confidence, and, and you know, give credit to Paul because he, um, you know, he he supported Uli in this moment. Uli was very um, enthusiastic about taking it, and we've seen Uli in training be very calm taking penalties as well. So it was a, um, I, th- I think, a really nice interaction um, that took place there for the penalty kick. All right, anything else? No, I, th- I think the last thing I'll share is I'm hoping that uh, we can see Ferreira and Uli more. Uh, going forward in the senior team, I know, you know, Olympic qualifi- qualifications coming up and they'll probably most likely be involved in that. But I think both of those players are ready to be included in uh, in the team for the senior team. And I'm hoping we, we can see more of them. Yeah, no, it'd be it'd be exciting. The Olympic roster, maybe we, we need to get on the phone and talk about the Olympic roster before qualifying. There's a lot of fun potentials with that lineup. Uh, all right. If you want to join the conversation, provide insight, provide your opinions. You can reach us on Twitter. Joey is at Casio underscore FG. I am at that Croatian guy. You can find more episodes of this podcast where we've been covering the U S men's national team for quite a while now. Uh, you can find all of that at three, four, three coaching.com. And if you're looking for coaching education, you can find our online coaching courses, our free and our premium course. You can find those on 343coaching.com. And if you are a parent, a player, or a trainer, or a coach that is looking to add supplemental training to uh, to your players or for your players, you can find a brand new course from 343 at 343masterclass.com. All right. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. You can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.